This is Farm Talk Radio, and I am your host, Farmer Mike. On today's episode, I sit down with University of King's College student and global food ambassador, Cassie Hayward. Cassie spreads her time across a number of different projects and passions. She is a student leader, the rugby captain at King's, and a local and international food systems advocate. She is involved with 4-H, Food Secure Canada, and a fresh new project called Agricoa. On today's episode, we talk about each of these initiatives, the gifts and challenges of being a young leader, and the emerging feminist movement in agriculture, specifically in Kenya, where her and her Agricoa team are doing on-the-ground research. We have a coffee from the student-run Wardroom Cafe and Bar, and we are ready to sit down and talk. Okay, so I'm live in the King's Common Room in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I'm sitting down with Cassie Hayward, who is a student at King's. She is the rugby captain, and she is a... I would call her a local food hero, um, but I'm going to let her introduce herself and just tell, yeah, can you tell me a bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for me, I grew up in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, um, a very food insecure community. Uh, my family personally grew up way below the poverty line. Uh, we grew up extremely food insecure, which I didn't realize at the time would correlate a lot with the work that I felt passionate about later. Um, so for me, I kind of had a mixed relationship with education growing up. I struggled a lot in school. Um, but when I was in high school, I kind of ended up in this program called 4-H by accident, which is essentially, uh, farming girl guides. Uh, and it teaches young people about, uh, agricultural production in Canada and gets them really involved in a, a fun, competitive kind of way. So it, it really engages young people around really important skills, either life, life skills like welding and carpentry and stuff like that, stuff that will really impact, you know, the rest of your life, or uh, a lot of agricultural production, like animal husbandry, um, crop science, and stuff like that, Uh, so I got involved in that program, and I fell in love with agriculture, (laughs) and I came from a city, and I had absolutely no idea where I fit, Um, so that was was a difficult, difficult aspect of being like, I really care about this, but it doesn't make sense right now in my life. What sort of animal husbandry? Like, were you looking after chickens or sheep or cows? Or? Yeah, so personally, I couldn't take the animal husbandry because yeah. my family didn't have the resources to uh, to, to get me out to uh, sure. a lot of these communities. But uh, people in my club and other clubs can do, like, the dairy project, beef nice. project, lamb project, um, goat, like, literally anything. And where wow. you raise your own animal and then... You, you actually raise your own animal. Yeah, you raise your own animal. Or sometimes farmers will let you borrow their animals and then you, you help raise them, um, understanding that it is like really difficult and you know sometimes financially constraining for especially very young people to have yeah. their own animals. Um, so sometimes farmers will help out too, which is really great. Um, but yeah, it really gets young people involved, um, trying to retain rural youth, but also encourage urban youth to go to rural communities. Nice. Yeah, so I started out, this is where the love for agriculture began, because um, previous to 4-H, I had zero exposure. I did not know where my food came from. I had yeah. no idea of the difference between different kinds of cows. I had no no knowledge at all. Yeah. Um, so then 
So when I was graduating high school, I came down to this really tough decision. Do I go to school for dairy farming, uh, which I had no practical background in, absolutely zero knowledge. And my family was like, you can't. They're like, you can't do it. Um, you, you just can't be a dairy farmer. And that was, that was a little hard for me. So yeah, I really that was cared the dream. about it. It was the dream. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess, I guess I'll go into university, which like I realize now in retrospect was probably the best decision I could have made. Okay. Um, so it kind of proves to me that sometimes you get in these situations where you're like, I feel like I'm choosing the second option, but later it kind of reveals itself like, no, this is the path you were supposed to be going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, agriculture all started with 4-H. Um, then I started university in, the, in a Bachelor of Arts. So it's kind of like, how do you connect those two? And I didn't know for my entire first year. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. You, you um, were doing the foundation year. I was, I was doing yeah. the foundation year, going through a lot of philosophy. And I was like, this is hard. I was like, yeah. oh, this is hard. This is hard to navigate. How does this impact my life and others' lives? And I was in a really tough spot. I yeah. was like, I don't know what I want to do. A lot of reading, a lot of writing. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I kind of off the cuff applied for this opportunity through 4-H um, and I was like there's no way I'm gonna get it this like, was in first year this so? was in first year so cool. in the the summer of my first year I got accepted to go to Ghana on a learning exchange to learn about agricultural production and food security um, so that was the second really big lesson I learned is that apply for everything because you never know who they're gonna take because yeah. um, I really didn't think that they would pick me because they're like, oh, we want people who've been in the program for a really long time. I was only in the program for four years versus a lot of people on the program since they're like nine years old. Wow. Um, so I was like, there's no way they're going to pick me. And they did. Um, so I had this really amazing experience learning about agricultural production and food security in West Africa. Um, but I think what really stuck the most was being able to see all of the young female leaders who are really, really pushing the feminist movement in agriculture. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was really meaningful coming home and being like, okay, if these young women can do this in a lot of really hard circumstances, then I should yeah. be doing something too. Yeah. Uh, was this like, this was the women in Ghana. Was this also other participants who were from other countries around the world? Like, was there a group of you over there? Yeah. So this time it, there was only, there's 10 of us from Canada and then 10 of them from Ghana that we were matched up with. Cool. Um, and a lot of these young women were like well-educated women who are doing university degrees who are really pushing the boundaries of of agriculture and and gender equality, which was really amazing to see because I was 18 at the time. A lot of these girls were quite a bit older than me and being able to to be able to hear their experiences and and see their passion kind of lit a fire that I I had there. I just didn't know, didn't know what would start it. And that that was it. It was a very uh, impactful experience to be able to go somewhere, um, especially like Ghana, which is a really beautiful, amazing country, and to see how the young people are mobilizing was was really really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was this between sorry was this between first year and second year, yeah. like in the summer? Yeah, it was. Okay, so you'd done the foundation year, you went to Ghana, you came back. Yeah. What did you do next? You were inspired. I was inspired. So I, <laughs> I rolled up on campus in yeah. September and was like, here we go. Yeah. I was like, everybody watch Start out. Start taking names. <laughs> I'm like, everybody watch out. I, <laughs> and then I kind of had that moment of like, okay, but what do I do? Yeah. Um, so free, I was like, you know what? I'm going to change my entire degree. And I did. I switched from being in psychology and philosophy to wow. political science and sustainability, which okay. is the third lesson is don't be afraid to change. Um, and that you know paths aren't linear and I had really gone into university being like this is my path now and then like realizing no I was I was wrong and that's okay um but I I picked up some important skills along the way which is what matters 
Um, so I entered into political science and sustainability. Absolutely love the program, uh, both yeah. programs, especially the sustainability um, uh, department at Dow. Like really, that, really incredible. There's quite a bit of more activism oriented courses. Yeah, and a lot of hands-on experience, a lot okay. of uh, a lot of exper- experiential learning, a lot of group work, a, lo- a very holistic yeah. view of education that I hadn't experienced before, which I really okay. really enjoy and I still enjoy. I'm, I'm still in, in sustainability. Uh, so it was it was kind of like coming home and being like, okay, I found it. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm comfortable here. So for my second year, I was just getting used to this new degree and catching up in my degree because I sure. ended up overloading both courses or both semesters so that I could be caught up and not yeah. have to take a fifth year. Um, and then <laughs> I once again kind of applied for, for something and I was like, yeah, there's no way they're going to pick me in this yeah. way. Um, I applied for the Youth Agricultural Summit uh, for the 2017 Belgium edition and I was like, there's no way. Um, and then later on, there were, the statistics came out. There were like five or 600 applicants from Canada. Wow. Um, I don't know if it's that high, but it was, it was quite high. Um, there's quite a lot of people from North America who had applied. Um, and I was like, oh, wow. I was like, this is crazy. And I actually did get picked. I was one of four Canadians asked to represent the country at the Youth Ag Summit. Um, and this and was through the UN? This, this, or is, is this? this is its own organization. Okay. Um, so it's actually funded by Bayer. Um, but the Youth Egg Summit on its own is a separate entity. Um, yeah. So it was kind of just a platform looking to facilitate young people and ha- ha- encourage young people to have these conversations on a very global scale. Um, so I got accepted. And so at the end of my second year, I was like, okay, maybe we made the right choice here. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the beginning of my third year is when I was sent over. Um, and what an incredible week. Uh, you yeah. get to meet young people. There's a hundred young people from around the world all studying and or involved in different aspects of agriculture and food security. Um, so there's journalists who do food, food journalism. There are political science students. There, are, there were actual farmers. There were people all along the production chain. Um, so it was really incredible to meet people all under the age of 25 who are doing yeah. really meaningful and impactful work in whatever country they came from while also learning that uh, you know these global view, views um, are really important when you look at contextual matters within nations. So everybody kind of brought their own story, and then being able to listen to those stories was, like, very, very empowering. Yeah, it was, it was a big one. Yeah, and you, you, we talked a little bit about this before, but you actually were paired up with a team of 10 other people, you said, from yeah. around the world with kind of, you guys, you had a focus, and what was that focus? Yeah, so my focus, our group focus was gender equality, uh, and everybody in my group had some sort of background in gender equality, um, and so mine came a lot from my experience in, in Ghana, as well as my work that yeah. I did in Students' Union, as well as work on the women's rugby team, and, and really focusing on female empowerment through sport, uh, so a lot of holistic kind of reasonings ended up, we all ended up in this group and we all kind of looked at each other and we were like, were we really supposed to be here? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was like, I don't like, I thought I might end up in like education or something. Yeah. And then everybody else was like, I don't really know why I'm here either. So at the beginning of the week, we're all like, okay, like we maybe we were placed in like not the right group, but as the week went on and we had these conversations, like people were like, no, this matters. Like we need, this is important. And then it slowly became more evident to us being like, oh no, we were definitely supposed we're to be right here. We're in the right place. Yeah. Or- we were definitely in the right group. Um, so we were challenged to uh, to make a solution in agriculture within the context of sustainable development goals. So for us, our big question was, um, within agriculture, what can we do to help alleviate um, gender inequality? And so for us, we our answer was to create an online platform 
that provides free education around agriculture and, uh, and nutrition as well as providing young women the opportunities to have mentorships. What, what kind of partnerships can we link young women to? What kind of internships? What kind of, what kind of opportunities can we give them that they have practical experience and they feel comfortable in the field? Because a lot of places around the world, um, agriculture is stigmatized around women, especially yeah. uh, positions of power. Because even though, like in some African countries, upwards of 70% of farmers are women, except they're, they're not allowed or they can't get above subsistence farming. So they have the knowledge and the skills, they just don't have the tools to get above that base level farming. Mm-hmm. So our platform really tries to, to hit there to be like, okay, how do we, how do we help uh, propel women higher up statuses in agriculture, which is really important. Because um, like another statistic here is that for every $1 you in- invest into a woman, she'll spend 90% on her family or her community, yeah. um, which is important. So we're not just uplifting women, we're uplifting the entire communities in, in doing this work. Mm-hmm. It yeah. sounds like you're kind of tackling it on a few different levels. And yeah. one of the big ones is the microfinance. Yeah. One of the other ones that you mentioned was sort of scholarships and education opportunities. Yeah, so we're trying to create a one-stop shop where you can kind of have a really base education in agriculture and nutrition if you've no background at all to kind of get you interested. Yeah. And, and also for personal development because a lot of the stuff we should just know in general. Yeah. Everybody should just how know where their food well, goes. Yeah. Everybody should know, like, in your local community, what's best to grow, what can you grow. Um, And this is just base knowledge that everybody should have. But we're also hoping that young women will be like, oh, this is interesting. This is a field I could, could, you know, want to get involved in. Um, And then from there, they can kind of get paired up with hopefully a mentorship, um, either through an internship or even just an experience where they get to go to these farms. Because a lot of young people don't have that opportunity, especially if you come from urban communities. And then the final kind of stop that we're hoping to have is to condense a lot of different financial opportunities. So uh, we have theoretical experience, practical experience. And now how do we connect you to the next step? Um, And a lot of uh, a lot of places like we need the financial availability for young people so does it look like connecting young women to microloans um what organizations and ngos currently exist that are offering ngos that could or uh, uh loans that could help you out um what what kind of scholarships are out there that we can condense into a platform to make it really accessible for young people to say hey if I know this university will offer me $25,000 over four years to do dairy farming I'm gonna go and do dairy farming you know mm-hmm. um because we can't The biggest thing is that we can't keep expecting young people, especially young women, to to get involved in fields if they don't have adequate tools. And this is, I feel like this is a real double standard um, for our generation right now, is that there's a lot of expectation like, oh, you'll save the world, this is your future, you have climate change to deal with, you have all this stuff, but we're not being given adequate tools to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So our platform tries to facilitate that and give young women the tools so that they can succeed. Um, Because our end goal isn't that like, we're creating young women. We're just facilitating their their growth and empowerment. And that's really important for us is that we need to start giving young people the tools to succeed or else it's not going to happen. Yeah. And what is, what is the platform called? Just if yeah. some of our listeners wanted to, yeah. to visit this and check it out. Absolutely. So we're called Agricoa. So A-G-R-I-K-U-A. So our first platform is being piloted in Kenya right now. So we're doing a lot of field research to identify where the knowledge gap actually is. So yeah. we obviously don't want to make a platform around education if... Um, we, we kind of hit all this base knowledge that people already know. So we need mm-hmm. to, we need to kind of fill in the, fill in the blanks. Um, so right now we're doing a lot of research, um, and we have some volunteers who are going out and, and interviewing a lot of, uh, female farmers and being like, okay, what was the hardest part for you to get involved in this, uh, industry? What is, what's the easiest part? What do you love the most? What do you wish you had known when you were 14, 15? 
Um, and then from there, kind of filling in our platform to, to fill in that gap so that, you know, it is, we want it to be important for people and not, not just, you know, a pink elephant as they're called. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we're piloting in Kenya right now and of Agricoa, Koa actually means grow in Swahili. So it really means okay. um, agri-grow. And that's cool. what we're trying to do here. We're trying it, it, to grow the field. K-O-A, sorry. K-U-A. K-U-A. Agricoa, okay. yeah. Wow, cool. Um, is the government involved at all over there? Or is this something that's done through international funding? Yeah, so for us right now, um, we've been like minor talks with the government because yeah. in order to become an official institution, you really have to go through the government in Kenya. So we've been, like, been in talks. Um, in terms of funding, we were given $10,000 of seed money, which is what we've currently kind of been working with for the last year. Um, but right now, we also have quite a few funding opportunities coming from different international sources. Um, so hopefully they work out. We'll see. You know, I think whenever you're working in the nonprofit sector, the, the civil sector in general, fun, like funding and financing is by far the hardest thing to deal with because, you know, you're, you're not producing revenues. You're not, you're not yeah. producing money. We're trying to provide a service that should be provided by the government, but isn't. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, it, that is going to be, you know, the biggest struggle, uh, especially within the future. Is like, okay, how do we ensure that this is a sustainable platform that is, you know, it's not like a one-time thing where, yeah, we did this good platform this one time, but we can adapt it globally or we can go to the next step. So, you know, that's a, that's a big struggle, especially as young yeah. people. Yeah. You also mentioned you were in Italy. Um, yeah. <laughs> tell me about Italy. Yeah, absolutely. So we <laughs> just recently came back from the UN's uh, Council on Global or Committee on Global Food Security, which was incredible. Um, so we and were in, by we you mean your team? Yeah, my team, my Sweet. whole team. We were yeah. all there. All, all ten of you. Um, we dropped it. We dropped to eight. Okay. Just because uh, two two folks had some you know other things that they wanted to focus on, which is yeah. totally fair. Um, but of the eight of us, we got to go to Italy. We got to go to the UN um, wow. to kind of present uh, our our. Uh, our platform, which was really amazing. And we got really, really great feedback from people, um, yeah. which was great. Especially when you see all of these like really big leaders in agriculture being like, no, this matters. Like it was very validating, you know, yeah. um, especially because we were some of the, like by some, I mean, basically the only young people, wow. really young people there. Um, Cause the UN classifies anyone under the age of 35 as a young person. Okay. Um, whereas we're like, most of us are like 21 to 24. Wow. So we are like exceptionally young people. So to be there and have people who are a lot older than us, have a lot more skills, have a lot, lot more experience in the field, be like, no, this is important, was extremely validating. <laughs> yeah. And, and out of that, like, what, what's kind of next for your platform? You said you guys, you got a little bit more money, you're, you're scaling up. Um, what's sort of the, the six-month outlook? Yeah, so our six-month outlook is really dependent on what our funding looks like going forward. So we've applied yeah. for some proposals, you know, the very classic very classic stuff. If anybody listening has yeah. any any experience in the civil sector, you know, that's all about grants. It's all about those um, yeah. applying for those funding. Um, so for us, the next six months, we're going to roll out the first platform, which is exciting for us because it'll be the first version in the first adaptation of Agricola on the ground, which is pretty amazing. So right now we're developing a curriculum of what we've been cool. able to identify so far. Um, so really, I guess, real quick, six months is finish field research. Yeah. From the field research, develop a curriculum. Um, from the curriculum, get it on the platform, and then very, very much um, on the groundwork of uh, getting people involved in the platform. So we're, we're hoping to do workshops in Kenya and stuff like that. So hopefully, depending on our funding opportunities, we'll be able to send some of our um, 
current co-founders to yeah. Kenya to help with that work because we have one two people on the ground right now except you need we need more like you, you need, need more, more. Yeah. you need more always you need more on the ground um so for us that's the big six month plan that we're hoping um and then by the end of the year we're hoping to have hopefully gone 2,000 users on the platform by the end of the year which Very for cool. a beginning startup is a pretty ambitious goal for it us it is ambitious yeah I yeah. like that about just everything you've you've told me about you and the project you're, you're working on, like it is very ambitious. Yeah. Uh, you're a full time student. You are a student athlete. You work three jobs here at King's College, yeah. um, and so, yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about what what's kind of the next year look like for you? Like you're wrapping up your studies. You've got this this fantastic project going on in Kenya. You're thinking about further education. Yeah, so the next year is very much up in the air, which yeah. is, you know, kind of stressful at this point. <laughs> and I think any anybody who's gone through their university degree and hit fourth year, you're kind of like, oh, wow, what do we do now? Yeah. Um, and that's very, like, still very much so true for me. Um, I think what will happen will be revealed in the next couple of months. Um, King's really thankfully uh, nominated me as one of the Rhodes Scholars from the school, so we'll see how that wow. goes. I mean, it's a really, you know, we never really know how that's going to happen. Um, yeah. You know, there's some universities that have kind of been scouting, scouting my, my what I do in Canada. So maybe doing a master's. Um, and then also, like, there also is the huge potential that um, if we get enough funding, maybe it's full-time on the groundwork mm -hmm. in, in Kenya, which would be a really amazing experience. And that would also be equally as awesome. But it, it all right now is all up in the air, which is yeah. a little scary. <laughs> yeah. So both exciting and terrifying. Yeah. No. 100%. <laughs> Um, and one of the questions I like to ask on this podcast is, what's your greatest challenge right now? And also, what is the greatest gift that this sort of, this inroad into this world of kind of global food production, um, also urban agriculture, looking at local food systems, food security, like, what, what would you say your greatest challenge and your greatest gift are? So, I think there's two really big challenges for me right now, and the first one is, living two lives that are very different um yep. so there's my on-campus life where you know I've, I've kind of become a person on campus that people rely on i'm supervisor yep. of three departments at king's yep. <laughs> i'm a rugby captain so there's there's a lot of expectation that you need to be here and focus which is important because i want to support my peers and i want to support the departments i work for um so it's it's while i'm doing all this really important work on campus i'm also doing all this really important work like doing international stuff. So it's kind of like two very different spheres that I'm trying to balance and as well mm -hmm. as being in school, yeah. um, which is hard. And then, and then making sure that your mental health is okay because it, you know, it deteriorates when you start to really overload yourself, especially right now where it's like midterms and papers are due, but you're also trying to apply for $50,000 worth of funding. Yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, the biggest challenge is finding a balance in life that works as a student, but also as you know, an entrepreneur in the NGO sector. Um, and that's, that's difficult. That's mm -hmm. really hard. And all of my, uh, my co-founders have expressed similar challenges that it's, yeah. it's, dif it's difficult being a young person when you already have the stacks against you while you're also trying to live your entire other life, yeah. um, which is difficult. I'd say, yeah, this, the second really big one, um, Staying focused. It's yeah. hard to stay focused while you're balancing all this stuff. It's hard to stay focused on what's immediately important. And sometimes what's immediately important is your mental health. And what's immediately mm -hmm. important is your schoolwork. It is this or it is that. So 
I, I would say the, the balancing of two worlds has been very hard. Yeah. Um, do you have, before we go on to the gifts, like, do you have any exercises or things that help with mental health? Because right now for young people, mental health is so important. And I mean, sports is a good outlet, but yeah. is, is there anything that you kind of rely on? Someone you talk to, mindfulness, any any or all of the above? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the first really big step is listening to your body. Um, your body will tell you when you're not okay, mm-hmm. um, which is hard. It's, it's A, hard to learn how to read those signs, but B, hard to listen to it because sometimes you're so stressed out about school, you're so stressed out about whatever's going on in your life that even though you can feel your body's hurting, you can feel that your mind is hurting, but you're like, yeah, but I have to do this. Yeah. So I think the, the really big first thing is a listening and knowing and b acting on that being like okay I need to take that break I need to you know I need to sleep and and sometimes like your mental health has to come first which is hard for young people especially when you're being pushed in all these directions and you're being and you know there's still a lot of young people are told that their mental health isn't valid and Mm -hmm. that's that's a dangerous game to be playing as we've seen um you know suicide is one of the biggest killers of young people in in the country and it's like we are still not doing enough to help young people with mental health it's and it's also regardless of if you're diagnosed if if you're undiagnosed everybody has mental health and everybody needs to listen and you know really learn how to take care of that so I think for me personally I have to I have to listen and then you know make myself be like okay you need to take a break um yeah which has happened, you know, it happens, you know, quite a lot. You go through yeah. these periods where you're really, really good. It's great to be busy. It's really awesome. And then you go through these periods where it's like, I don't feel good. Yeah. Um, and then from there, kind of like, okay. So for me, once I have it all identified, uh, I really try to center myself around the stabilizing people in my life. Um, cool. So I try very hard not to, you know, it's really important that we're not overloading other people in our lives with what we're going through. But it's also important that you have those people who can, you know, you can stabilize you. Um, and I'm yeah. really thankful that I do have those people. So spending more time with those people um, and, and finding those people too, I think is important. Uh, well, also like for me, physical health is, is a big one because when you get really, really busy, you stop going to the gym, you stop yeah. playing your sport and then you kind of just need to be like, no, I need to go back. Um, yeah. And it is, and you know, it's, it's all about stabilizing yourself and, and making yourself feel more balanced because I always feel like when I'm struggling with mental health, you can, I feel the tipping. I feel a tipping of, mm-hmm. okay, I don't, I'm getting sick. I don't feel well. I'm not exercising. I'm not eating right. Um, so it's kind of like balancing all back. Okay. I need to exercise again. I need to put more time into eating. I need, I need to do all this stuff for me. So I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. For, <laughs> I'm glad that came up. I mean, one of the focuses of this journey for me is mental health as well. I struggled with depression on and off university was definitely it's a challenging environment and it's a very challenging environment to be balancing both those worlds that you talked about so yeah and um, I think I think the other big thing when we talk about mental health is uh not viewing your workload in comparison to others mm -hmm. I feel like especially as young people and especially as university students you can kind of be like oh well this person is doing so much but they're fine and I'm not and that that's okay um because everybody has different capacities and I think uh, I work with students a lot on campus around mental health, and so for me, it's it's really teaching people and anybody who's listening who has children. Make sure you tell them everybody has different capacities, and that's okay. Yeah. Some like some people like me can balance two worlds and be completely fine. 
Um, I'm not always completely fine, but, and then some people, you know, getting out of bed is hard and that is okay. Um, it's about, you know, listening to people and making sure that they have what they need going forward. Um, because we need to stop, we need to stop telling young people and people just in general who are struggling with mental health that what they're going through isn't valid because it Mm -hmm. is regardless. And like, and it's not your fault. And that's the big thing. I think that's hard for young people because this is, you know, the time when mental health, like especially illnesses start to develop. And then you have a lot of blame, like, I'm not good enough. This happened because I, I couldn't do this. So it's, it really has to come down to letting people know it's not your fault. Uh, we support and believe you, and we're going to go through the next steps together. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important, especially for young people in university. Um, and that's what, you know, our platform also hopes to, uh, to help provide that stability for young people. Yeah, that empowerment. Yeah, that empowerment, because, you know, it's like countless studies show that when young people have something that they really care about, like that helps with mental health. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we really hope to, you know, encourage that as well. Yeah. That passion, that creativity, yeah. that yeah. And, it, and having that, out, having that outlet too, yeah. um, I think is important. Cool. Yeah. So, so switching, switching, yeah, switching focus, complete gears let, here, yeah. let's, uh, yeah, let's explore the gift side of things. I mean, is there, yeah, yeah there's Ooh. so much you've talked to me about today. Um, but yeah, is there something that sort of stands out from all your different backgrounds? And is there something that's kind of let you keep going on your road that you're quite grateful for? Um, I would say that the like there's a lot of really big things that I'm I'm thankful for. But the first one is having people who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Um, that is, that's a hard one. I struggle, you know, a lot with self-esteem, especially growing up. I grew up in poverty. I grew up not, I grew up with a learning disability. So for me, like I had always grown up in a system where I felt like I wasn't good enough and that nothing I could do would matter. And I I had teachers in junior high school who said, you were never going to do anything in life. You're not going to make it to university. You're not smart enough. Um, so for me, having people like the leaders in 4-H be like, no, like you matter, what mm-hmm. you, what you stand for is important. And that experience and that those feelings you bring with you are going to impact somebody someday. And then to be able to look back and be like, there's so many individuals who believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself, um, which has really projected me this far because without them, I wouldn't have gotten here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very grateful for those people for taking the time and being like, no, this young person matters. So for me, um, a lot of our work is, you know, around believing in young people when they can't believe in themselves. Uh, because how do, how do you believe in yourself when you don't know anything about the field? Yeah. Um, so giving them the skills and the empowerment to being like, yeah, now I can, I can do it. I think that's yeah. a really big thing that I, I personally came from my own personal experience that I really wanted to inject in this platform. And like others in our co-founders agree as well is that we have to start believing in people. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of negative stuff in the world right now. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of young people who want to be doing important, incredible things, but they don't have the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another really big gift is uh, being able to, uh, to, to get that global, that global outlook at the world. Um, because there's a big solidarity between young people right now. To be like, mm-hmm. globally, we are all experiencing the same thing. We are all struggling in the same ways, and we need to help each other. It's been a very motivating and, you know, inspirational and empowering kind of sentiment for me going forward is, like, people in Canada are, are facing a lot of 
you know, struggles of people around the world. And there are people around the world who are facing a lot worse problems than we are. So to be able to be in a space where we're constantly challenging that and being like, okay, what can we do to impact that? Being able to have that motivation and the solidarity behind my team as a whole has been just like, that keeps us together. It keeps us a family that we all want to do something, which is, you know, having direction is something that I think is hard for people to get. And I feel like I have that now. So I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a big gift. Um, and even those issues, like exactly in the field that you're working in, they need global solutions. Yeah, exactly. It's not an isolated problem. I think, I think that people, when they think of agriculture and food security, they get, you know, it's like, oh uh, yeah, whatever. But the reality of the situation is that food security and agricultural production needs to happen on an individual level, a community level, a provincial level, a national and international level. Mm-hmm. All of the work that's done on each of these levels are important. Yeah. Um, and it's going to impact something somewhere. Um, so I think we, we happen as a group to be working internationally, except each one of us brings our own work to our communities, to, the to our local national level, communities. To the, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's another big thing that is a, a big gift is that we all have now networks within our own communities and, and uh, countries because without being involved in this project, I wouldn't have applied to be on Food Secure Canada's Youth Caucus. And now I get to represent youth nationally um, through this uh, through this organization and kind of figuring out, okay, how do we get youth more involved in food security? Yeah. Um, so there's a million gifts that come out of these kinds of things. Um, but may, I think the really big one always comes down to is, is empowerment. Um, yeah. Empowerment. Like I feel very empowered through the work that I do. I, the, we, the people we impact feel empowered. So I think that's what the big thing is, is at the end of the day, you get to go home, you're exhausted, but you get to be like, this matters. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the big one. <laughs> Fuels that fire you were talking about earlier. Yeah, no, and it's, you know, I love people. I've yeah. always loved people. Um, and being able to share my story and being able to hear other people's story has been a really incredible experience because regardless of where I go anywhere in the world now, I have all these little bits of stories that I have from other people that, you know, is a little bit in my heart right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that my story gets into other people's hearts. They bring that with them around. And I think that is the beauty of globalization is that I work with seven other young people from around the world and we each yeah. have a bit of each other's stories and the work that we, we do. And I think, you know, that's really important. Where are they from? And maybe just yeah, tell, tell their names uh, to our listeners and the countries that they're from. Yeah, for um, sure. So Diana is from El Salvador. Um, She is a food scientist. Uh, Juan is from Colombia. Sophie is from Ireland. Uh, Kamau is originally from Kenya, but lives in Denmark and has grown up in Denmark. Um, Rispa is from Kenya. She's doing a lot of our on-the-ground work. Uh, Richie's from Tanzania. He owns a pig enterprise. Um, (laughs) And he's also doing a lot of the -the on-the-ground work. I'm from Canada. And then Apoorva's from India. Um, And she's a school teacher. So we have a lot of of different perspectives globally, a lot of different perspectives professionally. Um, And the most beautiful thing of this project and this platform is that it was built out of a love and out of a solidarity of regardless of where we come from or our backgrounds or what we look like or what we believe, we all 100% believe that we need to be helping women in agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been the glue that has stuck, stuck our group together. Cause like this, like how, how, like how many, the odds are really against you when you're working internationally, like, yeah. and when you're 21, yeah. um, and <laughs> we have, we have had a lot of people be like, you're not going to make it. And it's like, we have. 
Mm-hmm. We, we have in, in some ways and we have a lot of ways to grow, but like we've made it to the U.S. You are going very strong. Yeah, we're yeah. going really strong. And that's, and that's because as young people, we have, we have that love. We have mm-hmm. that, that, like we've really become a family, which I think is what's going to take us to the next level. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's a great, great feeling. <laughs> it's, it is, it's very inspiring. It's very inspiring to listen to you. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. Um, This is an interview technique that someone used on me. He is actually also a King's College grad. Uh, His name's Colin Walker, and he's now doing a film studies and production uh, degree. So we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back, and what I'll ask you to do is just reflect in this moment of silence. We'll come back. Um, If there's anything else you'd like to add or share, you'll have time to do that. And then also, if you could leave... Our listeners, if you could leave young people with a word of advice or wisdom or something that you would like to, uh, some parting words, that would be great. Okay, so we are back after our brief moment of silence. And yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add, Cassie? Has anything... Oh man, I feel like you get in these situations, there's like a million things that you could say. Yep. Um, I think if listeners take away anything, <clears throat> two major things. The first is that food production is a really big issue. Um, we have 9 billion people to feed by 2030, and we have the very privileged status in Canada that we're probably going to be okay, but there's a lot of countries that aren't, um, and that we should be you know, continuing our work to, to help with that and to impact that, as well as ensure that our communities are more food secure because, you know, we we should be okay, but we're not in a lot of aspects. Mm-hmm. Nova Scotia has the highest um, food insecurity of all the provinces at 14%. 14% wow. of the population here do, do not have adequate food services, and that's just based on uh, self-reporting. So it's, it's honestly probably higher, much higher than, than that. that. Um, and then there's a lot of indigenous communities across Canada that are up to 34% food insecure. Um, so if I want to leave anything with people is that get more involved in your food system, understand, support your local farmers, um, and, and just know the impact of what you do around food and how, how many social uh, things come out of that. Uh, I think that's really important that we all start thinking about food a little bit more. Neat. Is there any advice you would give, say there's a young person listening to this who's inspired and wants to get involved, what would kind of be a good avenue or inroad? I know it it's a very broad question, but is there one uh, sort of in inroad you could suggest? Yeah, I think the first thing you need to do is identify what do you love and what do you care about? Because um, this happens a lot. We see young people do things because they feel like they have to. Um, and honestly, the work that you do there isn't going to be nearly as important as the work that you do in whatever field you love. So if it happens to be food security um, and it happens to be um, around food production, there are many avenues. If you're a real young listener, get involved in 4-H. Um, yeah. There are clubs across, the country, across the country. A lot of rural communities, a lot of places around the country have them. Get involved. Get in touch with them. Find out what they do. 
Um, Food Secure Canada also has regional champions. Send me an email. Come in, come and join our team if you want to. So yeah. uh, what we try to do with regional champions is, you know, stimulate activity and, and offer support for young people to get involved and, you know, create action in their communities. So that's my job. So, nice. yeah, you know, give me a call. Give me an email. and We'll see okay. what we can do. So um, what I'll do is I will I'll get those links from you. I'll put them up on the Farm Talk Radio website so our listeners will be able to just have, like, a one-stop shop. I'll get your 4-H. Yeah. I'll get your the platform you guys have been working on in Kenya, and we'll get some of those other avenues for young people to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. There. There's so many of them. Um, these are just you know some examples. There's hundreds and hundreds of examples. Get involved in uh, your local soup kitchen. Get involved on your campus. Get involved in food security around your school. Get involved in so many different ways. Um, so I, f- I feel like if you identify that this is what you care about and this is what you love, you will find, you'll find it and I believe yeah. in you. Um, cool. You can you can do it. You, you, can, <laughs> you can make impact regardless of how old you are, what background you come from and that this country needs you. That's, that's the big yeah. thing is that they need you at the end of the day. Cool. Well, thank you so much. You have a very busy, hectic schedule. <laughs> so I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. And uh, let's go Blue Devils. You yeah. guys still have a... F- <laughs> Where, where's your season at right now? So we just finished our season, but okay. um, the rest of the seasons, the winter sports are just starting. So, nice. you know, Blue Devils, let's go. Yep. Do you, do you do Truro 7s yeah, or Truro anything like Yeah, Truro 7s in March. Cool. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you, Cassie. This has been very inspiring, very informative, and I'm looking forward to connecting... Uh, young people and and older people alike to some of those links that you have shared with us. Awesome. Thank you so much.